0: Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast.
1: A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens.
0: My name is Eric Lefebvre,
1: And my name is Jessica Tracero.
0: And this week, we are joined by a special, special guest. Ashley Taylor, welcome to the program. How are you?
2: So excited. A long time listener, first time Caller
0: yes <laughs> yes, yes mean, hyphen yes. caller
1: <laughs> um
0: and yeah, so this s- oh no you go oh, you go
1: we're so happy to have you um ashley has been one of my best friends for uh like 15 years i think we said it earlier um yeah. oh my gosh like you're one of my oldest friends this is incredible uh also um ashley is just like one of the coolest people i've ever met so we're so excited to have her and we had a request um to do the Phantom of the Opera from listener Nicole and then Ashley a few weeks later hit me up and said, "Hey, can we do Phantom? I really want to do Phantom." And I was like, "Oh my god, yes, let's do this." So, multiple requests for this episode. Exciting. Which is
0: exciting. Yeah, cuz I mean, I've I mean, I guess this is the perfect part to like get into like our history. So, Ashley, what is your history with Phantom, Phantom of the Opera, Phantom lore? Oh, <laughs> Phantom. <laughs>
2: uh, well, it started just because probably like most people's parents, I don't know, maybe not most people's parents, but my dad had like the Andrew Lloyd Webber, like greatest hit CD and we would be out in the garage fixing cars or something and it would just be on. Right. Um, and as a kid, I thought it was cool because it the, the voice sounded like Jack Skellington. Which I loved as a kid. I was wrong. They are not the same voice actor, <laughs> but I, I still like the music. And later on, growing up, I got into like I was the nerd in French class. I really liked French history. Stumbled upon something about um, the the opera house in Paris, and it, like all the connections were there already. I was just like a huge nerd in high school, and oh. This is like a real place. Like the, the Family Opera takes place in like a real opera house that exists. Um it's a fictional story, of course, but um you know, it just kinda grew from there. And by two thousand four, it was like a year after I graduated high school, like I was I was in. Um I have never seen the stage play just to be out there. I mean i I've, I've seen it like on Netflix or whatever, right? But, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which it has a but, sequel.
1: Which I didn't even realize. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) The
2: sequel is something else. Uh, That's another. another Oh my God. I'm so
1: curious. Okay.
2: But just it's just been around my whole life and I just fell in love with it like again a huge nerd in high school you know uh, just loved the music of it and I don't know how you watch an Andrew Lloyd Weber musical and not
0: love the music yeah
2: so <laughs> it's just kind of been around my whole life and I I loved it and the story of Christine um is something that I resonate with a lot um there's we'll definitely get
1: into that but that's kind
0: of my history with it um jess what is your history with phantom of the Opera? i
1: have no history with phantom of the opera Um,
0: gorgeous
1: so i know like i mean it's one of those things that's like in the cultural zeitgeist like out in the ether in the world i know of i uh like know the look mostly and i know that there's like a scene in the rafters and that people are like crazy about this like they love it like but i knew nothing else i i knew so little about this that i didn't even recognize the the main theme of the song da 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 i did not even know that that was phantom of the opera mm-hmm. so now i'm like i have heard this so many fucking times in my life
0: yeah
1: um oh, what a treat i'm really excited to talk about this with you ashley cuz like like you um especially in the 2004 version i feel like i identify with christine quite a bit and there's a lot to say. But anyways, yeah. how about you, Eric? What is your um, history?
0: My history, I mean, it's literally all musical. I'd never, I didn't even know that the Phantom was a universal monster, like a classic 20s monster. I just, I, I didn't know that. I've seen that face so many times and I've been mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, like that's one of the monsters. I don't know his name. Um, had no idea that that was like the Phantom of the Opera. Anyways, so my history <laughs> with the musical itself is really just the musical, um, Growing up in high school, I did musical theater, Love musical theater. We actually did one year, it was a, um, a review. And so we did a bunch of different musical songs. And for it, we did Masquerade from Phantom. And you know that little interstitial with uh, Christine and Raul? Or they like get engaged and he's like, oh, let's not argue, like, whatever, whatever. Um, I played Raul in that scene. Did you? uh, For that little moment. Yeah. So it was like, it was really like a three line moment and like a small uh, solo, but it was still really cool. And then apart from that, um, I've seen the musical, that, that, uh, the movie several times and I've seen bits of recorded stage version. I've never seen it in person. Um, but I've always wanted to just because of like the falling chandelier and like the whole spectacle of it. And it's one of those things where like Andrew Lloyd Webber is so funny to me. Like his music is good, but I feel like his music is always wrapped up in the weirdest uh, shows. Like, I don't know. Like Cats is like a mess wait but did it's he like do fun. cats too he did cats i know cats nothing is, about cats cats is a mess and it's fun and some of the songs are fantastic but as a show you're like what um and <laughs> some could even argue with phantom like it's a cool story and like great and some of it's like wait what <laughs> um and then what did he do jesus christ superstar and like a joseph and the amazing technical like, dream code. so he's done like a bunch of cool stuff and he's a great musician and I think he makes some of the most iconic, like, hooks, like, that ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, and, like, I mean, Music of the Night, like, everything, there are so many good songs in this that are just, like, earworms, and because he loves to do, like, um, reprisals, where it'll be like, that's the song, but we've already heard it, we've heard the coda, and now, like, he's gonna pull it back, like, 17 other times, like, casually, where you're just, like, you're hearing that little do-do-do-do-do-do every, like, five minutes, he makes shit get stuck in your head. So I like his stuff for that reason. Anyway, that's my history <laughs> with uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber and uh, Phantom. Phantom <laughs> of the Opera is what we're doing here. Bring it back. <laughs> yes. I yeah. had
1: no, again, I've heard Andrew Lloyd Webber, but I've never, like, known what he's been attached to. So I feel like I'm just, like, this podcast is expanding my horizon. So thank <laughs> you, everybody. And we love growth. So you guys get to see this growth, growth. like. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> cool. Should we, should we talk about it? Let's
0: do it. Let's get into this first one. Beneath the Paris Opera House, an elusive man calling himself the Phantom stalks chorus girl Christine Daae. After abruptly rising to fame thanks to the Phantom's actions behind the scenes, Christine attempts to break up with her lover, Victor Raoul de Chami, period. The Phantom attempts to blackmail the opera owners and their leading actress into having Christine take over the lead role permanently. However, the group choose to ignore the threat leading the Phantom to drop the opera house chandelier on guests during a performance. Immediately after, Christine finds herself in her dressing room where she is visited by the Phantom, who persuades her to follow him through a secret door in her dressing room. She reluctantly follows the Phantom to his lair deep in Paris underground where he professes his Big Air quotes, love, for her causing her to faint.
1: When she wakes up, she unmasks the phantom, causing him to dramatically lose his composure and declare her his prisoner. After his fit is over, she convinces him to let her sing in the opera again just one last time. Before her final performance, she attends the masquerade where she secretly meets with Barul and plots an escape from the opera. Unfortunately, the phantom is indeed a stalker and heard the whole thing. Furious, the Phantom kidnaps Christine on the eve of the performance, and Raoul teams up with undercover cop Lado to find them. They enter the catacombs and end up in one of the phantom's torture chambers. The phantom uses the opportunity to force Christine to choose, big air quotes, to become his wife in exchange for Raoul and Lado's lives. Suddenly, a mob shows up at the phantom's door, and he attempts to escape with Christine, but she escapes as the mob catches up to the phantom, murdering him and throwing him into the river Seine. So this is 1924, 25.
0: 25. 25. Um, which while I was watching it, my boyfriend, Eric, oh, my boyfriend, Ashley is named Eric. So we're two Eric's. With which,
1: a K. With a K. So. He's a K. I'm a C. Okay. Gorgeous.
0: Okay. Uh, but we were watching it and this is almost literally a hundred years old. Isn't that yeah. wild?
1: That's nuts.
0: That's so wild to me. This is a hundred year old film practically.
1: And so um Whoa (laughs) For our for our listeners, um, if you haven't watched this, this is also uh before Takis. So this is a silent film. Um so watching it, I was at first I was like, okay, I guess I guess we'll do the first one, we'll see how this goes. But it was actually a lot more fun and engaging than I thought it was gonna be. And they did some really cool stuff with um like the tint of the film. Um like sometimes it's black and white, sometimes it's sepia, sometimes it's green, like whenever the phantom is around. And I I thought that that was just re- like a really neat way to like break this up and also what a joy to like watch this from like literally the the dawn of like you know movies and like there's sometimes where you can see the tape where they stitch like scenes together and things yeah which is also something um so apparently when this film was shown it was in a different order than what we saw today I was reading on Wikipedia because I go to Wikipedia to try to like, okay, like what happened to like put together the intros, right? And it like, apparently they reordered some of it and they added some more stuff later on. So like what we see today is not necessarily the true version, depending on like where you watched it and stuff, which is interesting because as we famously know on on this pod, that can just like really recontextualize everything. And um, and so I'm really fascinated with that with the fact that they just went back in and redid it but yeah it's um it's very good it's on amazon anyways i
0: i want you said at the beginning of that you said before talkies and my head i was just like you mean the chip like talkies (laughs) like t-a-k-i-s i I was like wait when did they start like what isn't that frito-lay like when did frito-lay begin i um, love your brain
1: so much eric
0: I, I like it didn't even <laughs> dawn on me that you're talking about, like talkies the movies oh my gosh i was just like oh yeah snacks 100%. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. yeah i 100 percent agree i mean it's an, it was interesting watching it because i my my history with like silent films is very sparse like i've seen very few of them um ultimately because i think they're very boring <laughs> like i don't i'm not super engaged with a lot of silent films in general apart from a very few and this one was like it was actually way more enjoyable than i expected
1: yeah um i i think they also conveyed the story pretty well too like there wasn't a lot of like nuance to it but um it's oh, yeah. interesting so um so this is a horror movie right whereas yeah. the next one that we're going to watch is uh, genres on IMDb are romance and musical right which is so interesting to me because I do think that it is still horror um, and oh we my can, god when we move forward we can talk about those tropes and how like because that plays very well, much into like gender expectations or what we're supposed to want or need and is this horror no it's romance we're you know so it, it gets messy and I'm very excited to talk about that but this is unmistakably horror Horror. this is like at no part are you trying to sympathize with the phantom for what he's done or what he's doing um and and
0: i also i I just also love how big of like a toxic fandom story it is where he's just like obsessed with her like you're my star you're my goddess you're my pop diva like it is you you bang out all the hits i've known you forever i'm your number one fan girl let's go like i need you on stage i will burn this fucking place down if you do not perform tonight (laughs) like i am waiting for tickets i will literally blackmail the owners of this place to get you in the role and it's so funny to me like it's like obviously it's scary and obviously it's toxic but he is such like he's so silly he's like <laughs> he's so gay and it's so funny to me like like i don't know i was saying earlier some of like the quotes where he's like he sends all these cute little letters and he's like, dear Colada, I advise you to be ill. Love the phantom or not love the phantom, but like, (laughs) like might as well have been like heart phantom. Like I advise you to be ill. Like, and um, he's just... One of
1: my favorite uh, lines that he said is, like, when Christine runs into, like, his bedroom, presumably, and his bed is a coffin, and she's like, what the fuck? And he's like, it keeps me reminded of that other dreamless sleep that cures all ills forever. It's like, oh, my God, you're so emo. It's so cool. He's so
0: emo. <laughs> I had the same thought. Yeah. He's just like... I love that quote. And I mean, I have so many quotes because the other one is like when she she takes a mask off and he's like, "Er," and then uh, he's telling her, he's like, I like glut your soul on my accursed ugliness. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Glut your soul (laughs) on my accursed ugliness. Like, take it all in. I'm gross. Get it through your fate. Like, he is so dramatic. He is so drama. And it's so funny.
1: And he like throws Ugh. the biggest fits too. Like he does. For
0: being this like big little incel baby. He's like just like <laughs> it's so he's <laughs> so funny and silly.
1: You're, you're so right like and I had that note especially for the next one where he is like that big toxic fan that like yeah. is just online that is just like oh you're the best I'm gonna do everything to make sure that you <laughs> rise to stardom and take credit for her success and you know like all, all these things and so then also to feel like he, uh, that ownership over her like because he talks about that a lot in here where I mean he's so good at like verbal manipulation <laughs> right that she is literally hypnotized by him where he's like literally Really telling her what to think and telling her what to do and he like call, in this one specifically he is like you're my slave I'm your master like he's using all of this language and I'm like okay and he's like I'm gonna prove how much I love you slave and I'm like oh my god
0: it's a lot <laughs> it is so much
2: well and the worst part of all of that is like he puts it in a
1: framework of like
2: look I've been training you for at least in this version months mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah okay months. Oh I've been training god. you for months uh, by the way, I placed the world at your feet Because I did whatever to Carlotta Or whatever mm-hmm. Like I'm willing to poison people To make sure you freaking yeah. sing, right? <laughs> 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 but he's like, you owe me But then there's a lot of other talk about like how she's going to fix him somehow like yes um
1: i also picked up <laughs> on exactly what you were saying to yeah. like a big ch- a little chunk of my notes is about him convincing her that she's the only one that can save him
0: well uh, also using using her like big air quotes purity and like angelicness as like Mm -hmm. as as like a a salve as like a tool for like problem solving for him like like that what was the quote like i'm aroused by your purity first and foremost nasty get out of my face but secondly (laughs) he sees her beauty her skill and like the future she has ahead of her because like there's a level to christine daae where she is like She's very competent and good and, like, mm-hmm. capable in every capacity, even though other people don't really see it because of Carlotta, right? She's the the boss. She's, like, the nepotism yes. she, kid.
2: She's the the diva before. Yeah. Yes.
0: So things are as they are. But Christine, obviously, when given the chance, she gets out there and shines and she's it. He sees that. And I, I think it's, like, he wants everything that she has. Her future, her beauty, her everything. And he's guising it as, like, a... If I have you as a romantic partner, I will inherit all of those things by proximity, which is just like, yeah. A, no, that's not how that works. And B, go away. Like, I'm sorry. And I know that we get more backstory in like the next one. And I'm sorry, like the world hates you and they hate the fact that you don't look uh, like a lot of other people. And that's like really unfortunate. And that sucks. But um, you don't got to do this. Like, I don't know. He
2: doesn't. And I mean, there's a big part of it, like, I see a lot of symbolism in the shadows that they used in the film, like Mm -hmm. a lot, there's a lot of light and dark, you know, high society, and where he lives is low. There's a part where they go on the roof, and there's angel statues that he's hiding among. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of that, that good and evil and, and he twists it all up, right and that mm-hmm. I mean that's the genius of that character, I think. Um, but you know it's kind of like you can't God and it, it's prevalent in both films too, but you you're not gonna force anyone to love you like you have
1: to work on yourself
2: first, mm-hmm. right and clearly that is not happening (laughs) yeah yeah
1: and i think that that juxtaposition of like he's hiding amongst the angels listening to this conversation you know like you were talking about with like high society low society because you know it is like a caste system still in front in french i almost said in France in In france France. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so it's like I, I think that that is really cool. And I didn't think about that. Like it, like him hiding amongst the angels. Especially with like the next one where he's like himself. Like is referring to himself as like the angel of music. Right? Uh, very predatorily. Which again we will get into. But like one of the things that I, I wasn't a big fan of. Like I I understand that this character is messy. And I think it's good because of that. But I think that part of the mess that I'm not really into is that he is deformed, right? He's disfigured, like, on his face. So he, like, that's what makes him uh, shun from society. And then an incel murderer, <laughs> right? And, like... Nowadays, like everybody's like trying to, you know, have this conversation about like accept yourself and accept your body and let's, you know, like um, raise awareness. Let's, you know, um, let's make sure that we're not being judgmental and stuff like that, which absolutely wasn't the case back then. But like, I don't love the fact that that turned him into this little incel baby, like we were talking about, like, because I feel like that just perpetuates some of that stereotype with like, oh, they're deformed, so they're inherently bad, or oh, this, yeah. so this, because like, 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 I I think it was just a weird choice for the for the story.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it relies so heavily on like the we've talked about this in so many things, but like in a lot of horror movies. And I mean, this is like classic. This is so old. This is like pre-genre. There is the trope of and maybe this is one of the things that sets that up is like anything that looks atypical whether that's like a disability a deformity or or anything other than what is typically acceptable in like regular business society is deemed disgusting scary and bad like without any sort of like empathetic perspective any any sort of like compassion it's simply disgusting we in most horror movies and that includes like age shit like Anybody who's like seventy plus, like they're gross and like old, and it's like, oh, that's so scary, and like <laughs> it's such like a boring trope. Insert old
1: to... beach by Litt- yeah. M. Night I Jemilow. mean,
0: base well, level. <laughs> he wants love. He wants affection, and that's just. Ugh.
1: There is a line that I really like from him kind of talking about this where he says um, and says uh, big air quotes because it's like projected onto the screen, <laughs> which is great because there's not a lot of lines in this movie. But like, you know, whatever. I-, I think they did a good job of like having very pointed dialogue, which was great. So um, kudos to this film. He says, If I'm the phantom, it's because man's hatred made me so. If I shall be saved, it's because your love redeems me. So like a lot of him just wants to be seen as a person. And I think we can all absolutely relate to that, right? And we all have our own insecurities and things like that. But because he was shunned, he essentially, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So like, I think when we look at that line, which the other one doesn't really have this line, right? Where it's like society turned me into this I didn't have a choice right and I mean of course yes you always have a choice but I like that line being there because I feel like that's at least kind of acknowledging like you know it's not saying like oh I am deformed therefore I am bad it's like well society fucked me up you know
0: yeah it's because that because then that whole conversation dips so hard into like incel shit where yes, it's like, it's it not me. It has nothing to do with me. It's everybody else. And I'm the victim. I'm, the, which to be fair, sure, that's part of it, but that's not entirely it, right? Correct. There is self accountability. There is, there should be a conversation about like action. Like, what have you done on your end? And it's like, oh, all of these bad things that include murder, kidnapping, and grooming. Cool. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not just society. Like, maybe it's also you. Um, Correct. There's there's,
2: there's symbolism in his backstory, too. I know we're skipping ahead a little bit on this, but did you see that card that they pulled out of the
1: office or the library about him?
0: Yeah, I don't remember where they were talking about
1: like he's. He was born in the middle of a massacre, a uh, self-educated musician, mastered the black arts, right? Um, so right. he was exiled to Devil's Island, and he was diagnosed as insane. And now he lives in the torture chamber where he was tortured. So, like, a lot of this is icky and working against him. I think if he wasn't, again, if it, if so much of him wasn't centered around the deformity, then I think, like, yeah, it, it's 100 percent incel stuff, but like they're trying to like gain our sympathies because of that. So it's just it is weird. Like the thing about knowing somebody's backstory is you can't you don't get to forgive the
2: crimes that he's committing, mm-hmm. but it does make it understandable and easier to process for everyone who's going through it. Right. Yeah. Part of that massacre, like France has gone through many revolutions. The The Boulevard massacre took place in 1848. So I mean, if you do the math, he's a, a little bit older in that sense. But it's part of the second French Revolution. And I didn't take the note on it exactly what it was about, but it really was focused on, like, the right to work, no matter your circumstances. So for okay. a guy who has a facial deformity, being shunned by society, like, he probably can't get work. Like, he probably can mm-hmm. in, in that time. So, I mean, you start to think that he... Was born during this time, like his parents were affected. There's a little bit of generational stuff going on there. Um, he got sent to this place called Devil's Island, which okay, mental health treatment probably not very great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Devil's
2: Island, yeah. (laughs) Like, of course, he would want to escape. Like, who wouldn't? So, okay, maybe you can kind of understand, like, okay, this is why he escaped here and did this because he's a self educated musician, and of course, he's going to go to like. The place that that has the the best music around, right? That's it's mm-hmm. Paris Opera House. So, um, I, I get a little bit of backstory on that, but that does not excuse, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I, I love I love context, especially, and this is something that we talk about a lot. Is like, well written villains are always the ones that, to some degree, you can sympathize with, right? Like, you can see, like, justifiably, like, I understand where you're coming from. Does that make it right? No, but character wise as somebody in your circumstance do i understand some semblance of like why yeah that doesn't make it good so that to me i love when i miss that card because to me i just thought it was just like mm, where's he like i there's thought so i cool. thought we missed the backstory so. in this one wow. um but yeah. yeah con i love complex villains and yeah he's and a I, good
1: one yeah absolutely like it like there's Even for a silent film, we have a complex villain, which I think is really interesting and really great. But, yeah, like, I do think that things that I liked that he was doing, blackmailing the owners, right, being like, give me my box, give me my monthly stipend. Like, great. That is the kind of stuff that I can get down with, right? But, like, uh, and we we had this conversation, Eric, on, like, other pods, too, where it's like, you know, yeah, take revenge on the people that shunned you. Take revenge on these people. But, I mean, he... Right now is just like, and maybe this is why he's drawn to Christine, because like she does represent that innocence that he so wishes that he has or that he like could emulate because he's just been so fucked up by the world, you know, and and shunned and everything that we're talking about. So... I love him taking action on everybody else but Christine doesn't deserve that and I think that the way that he's just so predatory because he obviously uh, like you were saying Ashley he is older than her right he is absolutely very specifically targeting her even more so in the next one right where he's like you are going to sing my opera like you I've known since you were seven is going to be the one to sing this so just like grooming her through (laughs) like in, in all of these ways to the point to where when he kidnaps her he has a whole room set up and he's he's got a makeup and jewelry and a wedding dress and like a literal whole room like just just dedicated to her and these things and so um uh, one of the things I identify with, with Christine, like uh, mostly in the next one, because I feel like in this one, Christine isn't really a person. She's more of an object. She doesn't really have a say. She is like, you know, there for the phantom to kind of project what he yeah. wants to be onto her. And Raul is just kind of like, you know, he doesn't really want to save her. Like, it, I don't know. It's it's he she's, saves her, but it's yeah. like she's more objectified and everything. Right. So yeah. like. But having this conversation about what it looks like to be targeted and what it looks like to um, to be groomed and to um, be manipulated and to feel bad, like, because especially in the the next one, he really plays on that, like, feel bad for me, feel bad to me to the point where she <laughs> kisses him. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God. But um, but yeah, like and I, I think that that is just a really interesting thing and I love that in this movie it's horror and in the next one it's presented as romance and I think that that is something that as like a society we have decided that oh it's still romantic even though it's a little bit weird I mean it's still like you know telling us how we're supposed to how we're supposed to want to be sought after, this sort of thing. So, like, because it's not just horror, you know, it, like, literally, it's romance-slash-musical. Like, I have a big problem with that, and I'm excited to talk (laughs) about that in the next one. But in this one, it is horror, and it is absolutely, like, even when she's... um, Sorry, I'm going on a whole rant. But when um, she's taken the first time by the Phantom, right, she goes through the mirror, and you can tell she's, like, trying, like, she he's hypnotized her right to or like you know uh, black magic whatever Um, where (laughs) she's trying to move away and he keeps like no 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 and like repositioning her but she's kind of in this trance right to where like even getting in the boat was a hassle and then you even see like a part of her dress just like uh, defiantly while they're in the water you know trailing behind them like it's trying to leave and then she eventually leaves that part of the dress behind you know she doesn't want to go she doesn't want to be there but literally this person has taken away her choice
2: well here's a little bit more history sorry i'm here for the history
0: no i mean honestly <laughs> give context. us the context
2: so lopra garnier i totally said that wrong and i'm the one who like took french for four years l'opra, <laughs> lopra garnier which literally translated is palace garnish um garnier is actually the last name of the the architect but garnier is garnish in french um okay. this place has been around in some form since like the 1600s like it's old the history of it is that because ballet became so popular in this time frame 1860s 1870s it kind of got away from opera formal to ballet and an option for a lot of girls who were either orphaned had hard times whatever they were taken to this opera house um, to learn ballet, learn a skill, learn to support themselves. And then because it was like the opera house of the world, essentially like you're in high society, Paris and Paris is amazing, you know, like the the fancy place in the entire world this time, Um, you're Mm -hmm. probably going to meet some rich guys and set yourself up pretty well, you know, Mm -hmm. and after the fire, uh, there was a big fire uh, for the Opera House. It took 14 years to rebuild this place. That's a long, long time. That's a long yeah. time.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, the principal reason for that was because it was built over a lake. Uh, so that's part of it. <laughs> uh, so yeah,
1: there really is hard. a lake underneath the yeah, there really Opera is. House. Yeah,
2: to this day, it is still
1: there. Oh. Yeah. It is still like, there. I, I've been to the catacombs and been underneath, and I'm like, oh my God, this is so scary. <gasps> yes, the like, catacombs. I, oh I did. I was surprised that I was like, oh, my gosh, they could have absolutely turned this into horror if they just had all of the skulls, like if they had them walking down like all of the catacombs, because there's so many Ooh, catacombs yeah. beneath Paris where like they haven't even mapped all of them. And it literally is just like hundreds of human skulls and bones just like going down this corridor. And it's pretty terrifying and pretty surreal. But but yeah, I didn't realize that there's actually like a lake under there, too. So that also... Yeah there's like a high okay. table or something. So they, they have like this lake
2: underneath. So like when they're in the boat and they're going through all of that, like, that's like similar, it's not as huge, <laughs> you know? Sure. Um, but y- yeah, that's like, that's like a real thing. Um, but anyway, during the rebuilding, like, I don't know how to explain it other than I just caught the tail end of a documentary on PBS some time ago, but they built a section of the opera house just for rich season ticket holders to go and meet these ballerinas and proposition oh. them. that's the way they presented it so proposition and there's like a whole slew of books out there if you're really interested this is the part that I really did have to research uh, but there's a whole slew of books out there that really talks about like culture for women in this place so these people really are being bred essentially to perform of course which is really grueling and it's it takes a lot of dedication and commitment, but for what? So that they can go off and be married and have a decent life. So that's kind of like, or or whatever. So that's what we're coming into with Christine. She's orphaned, right? Her father passes away. And at least in the 1925 one, she's only been there for a few months. And here's this dude trying to control her. (laughs) Like, I get that he has control issues, but it's, it's like, wow, that's, rough so when you're talking about like these people are being groomed like yeah that that is totally something that really happens so she's being groomed on
1: two separate levels right she's being groomed to be available to uh for rich people right which we see with Raul because like I don't really in this 1925 one I'm like he just wants ownership of her like he this is a this is transactional is kind of how that felt to me right yeah And then, uh, so she's being groomed on that level, but then she's also being groomed on, like, this other gross, another layer of gross, secretive, like, groomception. Ugh, gross. Wow, yeah. And that's not to say
2: that there weren't women who didn't have any part of that. There were people who just, nope, not going to. Not going to do it, but it was it was an extra for of income for them. So you yeah. know, mm-hmm. take that with a grain of salt. So um, another thing that they would do is these rich patrons, like all the flowers in our dressing rooms and everything. Like you could get a sponsor, a rich guy who who comes to the opera a lot. If they liked you, they would pay for your singing lessons. They would pay for your dance lessons. They would pay mm-hmm. for all these things, and you could advance your career if people liked you.
0: Bless. Uh wow. that's we my We love a sugar daddy. I mean I was just going to say see that to me standalone outside of the context of like literal uh female objectification and like grooming and sales and and all of that uh that by itself it's like oh god sign like I want that part like sign me up <laughs> uh oh you think I'm talented like yeah daddy give me money like that's it i my my <laughs> yeah. form of like service to you and payment is like to succeed you will see me succeed and rise. And you can be like, that's my girl. And be hot. And be hot. And be hot. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, what a dream. Um, I mean, yeah. just, again, just that portion, because that's like, <laughs> I think that that's like the coolest version of it where it's like, I have money. This person is really talented. I'm going to sponsor them. I want to see them go far.
1: I'm totally with you there, Eric. I also, it's really interesting that you said that Ashley, because like, all of the flowers and the dressing rooms, I'm like, oh my God, just like sign me up. Like I will live in any one of these rooms, right? But like, I think it's really interesting because where these, these you know, other men, these other, like, benefactors and stuff can offer um, Christine just an abundance of wealth and an abundance of, you know, whatever she needs to take care of herself and everything, all he can really offer her is a single red rose. That's it. Just the one. That's all that he can give to her, right? And he still feels like he owns her and that she is his because he taught her how to sing a few scales. <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah. It's interesting just because this is such an old movie that like, there is no nuance. And like the fact that women aren't people like, like at least in like some of the more modern conversations, like, yeah, that's still rampant. And like, obviously these are movies through the male gaze by men for men largely. And women still aren't like, are people kind of, but like in a way that like makes men look cool. Um, back then in this one, it's very clearly like, oh no, they are just, they're literally just so we can like sell and perform. Like we are breeding them. Like you were saying to be a commodity, to be a, be a product. They're not people. um, Despite what anybody else says. And just the, 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 the sort of brazen way that that's presented in this. I was just like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, I mean, Okay. it's
2: really quick but there is a there's a scene it's like eight minutes in where like all the ballerinas are backstage and they're they just saw the phantom and they're all freaked out it's like a quick clip but there's like this dude like fluffing up some girl's dress and it looks yeah. really bad yeah <laughs> really bad and it, that's where i'm like it's still there and i wonder i wonder to this day because i'm not in the performing industry i wonder if fandom is still kind of like that. Like you can support people by purchasing their music and doing all this stuff and being a fan, but then what other things are out there that people do because they think it will get them something in return.
1: Ashley, I can absolutely tell you 100% that this still happens, a big reason why, before I found the DIY scene that I'm in, so I will never be a giant crazy musician because I started to play in LA and a couple of places and it was, like, people literally, like, threw me up against a a wall and said, I want to fuck you so hard right now, and I said, hey, my husband's right over there, and they're like, I don't care, and tried to force me in the bathroom. This absolutely Absolutely still exists and payola also if it's not like you know like sexual favors or anything payola is still absolutely rampant and absolutely does exist and nepotism babies are crazy um, even like Billie eilish she's a nepotism baby her parents were have lots of money and are absolutely successful and like even though sure she recorded like in the garage with her brother like they had every opportunity right ariana grande too not to take away from these people's talent but when we're talking about like benefactors right when we're talking about access to music lessons or to you know um to different resources that like you know me i don't have right like or you know like somebody that doesn't come from wealth or doesn't come from proximity to that like to that world already that is absolutely something that still exists it's It's very predatory
0: you're getting the shitty end of everything at every turn like when it comes to like finding the space to play exactly pay for play that whole bullshit but then secondarily like with fans a lot of the times because of that proximity to like this really affected me Um, I own a part of that like I know you now and I want to be like that like toxic fandom that toxic like I know you more than you know yourself and it's like oh no that's not good
1: yeah it is just still very predatory practices and everything and it's it's very hard not to say that some people don't make it like you know from where they're at and everything without that but it's still I mean especially right now today with like the economy with like where we are as like you know, millennials or Gen Z, I mean, we have no wealth, you know, like, am I going to be able to like live on the shows that I play? No. Sometimes I'll get like 10 bucks for playing a show. Maybe. Yeah. You know, it's a whole thing.
0: Well, (laughs) I feel I feel like there was a nice little transition in here. We're talking about how it's been 100 years and nothing has really changed for women. Um, I feel like I don't really have any a whole lot else to say about this one. But it's a great place to get into the next one because of how much has changed but simultaneously how much has like not when it comes to the way that women are treated in these stories <laughs>
1: In 1870s Paris, beneath the Paris Opera House, an elusive man calling himself the Phantom stalks chorus girl Christine Daaé, posing as the angel of music. After abruptly rising to fame thanks to the Phantom's actions behind the scenes, Christine is reunited with her childhood boyfriend, Vicomte Raoul de Chagny. After the performance, Christine finds herself in the dressing room where she is visited by the Phantom, who persuades her to follow him through a secret door in the dressing room. She follows the phantom to his lair deep in the Paris underground where he professes his quote-unquote love for her and shows her a wedding dress he made for her, causing her to faint. When she wakes up, she unmasks the phantom, causing him to dramatically lose his composure. Christine returns the mask and he returns her to the opera. The Phantom then attempts to blackmail the opera owners and their leading actress into having Christine take over the lead role permanently. However, the group choose to ignore the threat, leading the Phantom to sabotage the lead and Raoul and Christine to profess their love to one another. Unfortunately, the Phantom is indeed a stalker and hears the whole thing and plots his revenge.
0: Months later, Christine and Raoul attend the masquerade and announce their engagement as the Phantom belittles everyone and gifting them his opera. Raoul learns the Phantom was othered by society for his deformity and plots a trap for him using Christine as bait. The Phantom sidesteps the trap and drops the opera house chandelier on guests during the performance as cover while he kidnaps Christine once again. Raoul tries to follow them only to end up in one of the Phantom's torture chambers. He narrowly escapes, but tied up by the Phantom as he uses the opportunity to force Christine to choose to become his wife in exchange for Raoul's life. Christine kisses the Phantom and gives him her wedding ring out of pity, so he lets her go. The Phantom flees before the mob shows up. Raoul and Christine wed and it's a happy ending? question mark? Okay, where do we begin with this? I kind of like Well, maybe I should start with this. The director. I want to start with director. So Joel Schumacher, who is uh, a famous director. He's directed many things. Also famously gay. I think that that has a lot to do with the aesthetic and the choices in this. Apart from, obviously, some of the other themes that we're going to get into. But, I mean, he did Lost Boys. He did Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. He's done a bunch of cool stuff. I feel like there is a level of, like silly queerness that is just sprinkled all over this movie both in like just the visuals, but also in like the grandiose Pompeii of like highfalutin late France of like 1880. Right. Like it's just everything about this is so fun and flimsy. And like, even the point of like the phantom being like actually hot is funny to me because it's like the whole thing is like i'm so ugly but it's like it's literally gerard butler who's like a total fucking hottie and like
2: he like walks around with these big fluffy white shirts open literally he's like
0: he's literally always fucking posing like he is a hot person who's like i have been looked at like an ugly piece of shit to my whole life and you're like um you have a mirror king like you're not gross like it's funny because it's, oh, I have a scar. And, like, when we finally see it, it's like, he's still hot. Like, that changes almost nothing about his face. He's still, like, messy fucking hot. I don't know. I think it's funny because- I like, love just, that, it, that because, that feels like-, very gay. like
1: yeah because i feel like i mean just like everybody like we could be like oh i don't like i don't like myself i don't love this but like he is just so over the top in all of these ways where like the scar <sighs> could have been the smallest thing and he'd been like don't fucking look at me i'm the most hideous thing ever <laughs> like yeah. and i was just like oh my gosh <laughs> um it's so I, silly i also really loved um how over the top carlotta was how we she got was my favorite. So incredible, so good she has not one beauty mark two beauty marks two dogs a palanquin to go to the stage like fuck me up i love her so much
0: everything about her was perfect like the entourage the the tantrums that like um what was the song the song where they get the letter in the atrium it's like they're trying to find where christine is everyone gets a letter and they're all reading off the letter like in tandem in this like collective chorus I forget that song but her whole bit and as it's divulging into like them just following her and she's like no 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 or whatever like it's just so it's so funny and she's such she's like the perfect brat she's the perfect like I get everything I want and I will scream if you say no she's perfect she's so perfect yeah.
2: That's what I wrote to you about Carlotta. I'll probably touch on it later. But the fact that we open on her holding a prop of a severed head of a man.
0: Yes! (laughs) It's so good.
2: And then later we see it when she gets her dressing room back. They start putting her portrait up there and she's, again, holding that severed (laughs) head.
0: (laughs) On the plate, it's like it's like a (laughs) gilded a gilded plate for like a dish, and it's just a man's head. And literally, that whole scene too. Like one of her entourage members is just carrying this like six foot gilded framed portrait (laughs) of her holding a man's head on a plate (laughs) around behind her, just like okay, (laughs) it's so silly. It is silly, but
2: it's like all right, that's right. I mean, knowing the backstory of like how she probably got there, like cool,
1: you get what you want. That's fine.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, truly, she's just so incredible. Anytime she's on the screen, she absolutely, like, she stole the show. Like, I was not looking or paying attention to anybody else. It was just only she existed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, speaking of that opening scene, right? Like, all the other women, that all the other performers are slaves that are literally chained. Um, and I think that's oh. <laughs> really... Uh, I was like Slave Leia oh my gosh because there was definitely Slave Leia vibes Um, and it was very culturally appropriative but um, I do think that's a really good like way to open especially for Christine who like she has no choice even at the end she doesn't really have a choice she just like she's chained to the ballet then she's like owned by you know Phantom who's like and like chained to like her dad and this weird legacy stuff and then even at the end she like is ultimately like chained to this person that she knew when she was like seven you know like she doesn't really escape that she's just she doesn't really have a lot of autonomy like at all none of them do she's just there and like everybody else is making decisions for her and around her even like the the madam uh, Meg's mom who I also really liked Meg and I'm really sad that we didn't get more of Meg because I'm like like she's the best friend she shows up at the end and I'm like we have like you needed to be here this whole time like and she wanted to be but but the mom who like also helped like aid in the grooming of christine like she like literally everybody is is just positioning her to where they want her to be and she doesn't really have a choice it's all just an illusion for her you know
0: well i was i was gonna say this is like what we were kind of touching on in the last one and also my biggest issue with this movie is that there still is this resounding level of again If we're looking at it from a genre perspective, it's romance. And like, this isn't a romantic story at all. Like there's nothing about Christine's relationship to the Phantom that is romantic. And I feel like these moments that are supposed to be, um, if we're looking at them at face value, uh, it's her being kidnapped, liaised, poisoned, and hypnotized by her fucking stalker. But in these moments where she is literally a captive in his home, um, it's supposed to be like, oh, yes, like soft and you're here and we're hot and you love me now. And it's like, it's like, let me woo you um, after I literally stole you because you're you belong to me. Like you're Mm -hmm. an object that I own. Um, Yeah.
1: and she's aware of it at, on some level, right? Like she, uh, and she's aware of her objectification and of her being a, a tool for him, but she's okay with it because she thinks it's like the angel of music, which I want to absolutely get into like this stuff with her dad and everything yeah. and like how that kind of like there were signs girl and you needed to just like, you know, you needed to trust your gut and yeah, not just, in this instance, your daddy's word. Right. But like, just... but she yeah. um she literally says like she she calls herself his mask like and she like uh says like they hear him through like the phantom through her right so she doesn't even take credit for her own ability or where she's at she just acknowledges that she's like a puppet or like a surrogate like that he like a tool that he is using to like you know propel his vision or like his voice and everything and without even ever meeting this person and she's fine like she met this guy online she's never actually seen him in person and she's like oh also, but I'm so she, in love girl
0: she <laughs> met know? this guy online when she was say with me seven years old (laughs)
1: yes
0: (laughs) oh my god what and that's i think like and i understand that like i well actually no i don't understand this is why i have the issue with it is like why are we romanticizing this relationship to a point where like even at the end where she's like having a hard time choosing and like oh but it's you and it's this guy and it's like i don't know why we're romanticizing why we're romanticizing their relationship at all like i get for the sake of like Story, but outside of that, I'm like, you're taking a lot of liberties already with like this classic film. You can take even more liberties and take out this whole concept of like this this big air quotes romantic relationship. Like, it is so inconsequential to the story as a whole. He dies in the end, anyways. Like, you not could in have, this one. Oh yeah, but you know what, like. Well, changed. but this is, like this I just is don't what, understand why we're romanticizing that here with her.
1: Again, this is what <clears throat> we're being told as young women that like this is supposed to be romantic, like, and that's why like some of this is framed as romance, or it's like she even like struggles. She's like, look, I know he's bad but like he, he's so sweet to me, right? Or he helped me so much. And it's like, again, we, he's been <laughs> grooming her this whole time. And in like 2005 we or 2004, we weren't really talking about grooming, right? We no. weren't talking about this type of culture, which happens and has happened historically for literally all of forever. Forever
0: and but, so much.
1: <laughs> but yeah, Eric, so it's like, it's really interesting because we always have that conversation of like humanizing a bad guy, right? Or, or like, you know, the bad guy is generally right. But in this space, it's really interesting because this has to deal with romance and this has to deal with what women are supposed to find desirable and that here we're allowed to have some conflict. Here, like, where this is absolutely very bad and we should not be condoning this at all instead of, like, you know, being like, oh, no, he's super bad, right? He's killing people. You're still romanticizing that even though he's, like, killing people, right? So we would rather, like... This is acceptable for women, whereas, like, being a feminist is not acceptable.
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day, within the story and within most stories in general, women aren't people. Women don't have autonomy. Women don't have, like, perspective. (laughs) They don't, like, they're not seen as anything other than something for men and patriarchal structures to use for the benefit of men.
2: Yeah. I mean, I see it as just another reason for the phantom to be a bad guy you know yeah, just right. another reason and yeah he's a genius i mean he clearly taught himself how to play the organ yeah uh which is the hardest instrument to learn um <laughs> anywhere but you know he did that from the bottom of the paris opera house i guess like, maybe i'll suspend my belief that much okay yeah um, but i mean it's just another uh, thing because it is absolutely absurd to think that this guy who is older Saw this girl at seven years old and maybe it did start out as like, yeah, she's got some talent. This should probably happen. But then as she grew up, did it develop into that for him? Like, I don't know, but. It's still really wrong because he's still
1: really old and she's still like 17. Also, it's incredibly predatory because he like he's hearing her talk to her dad, presumably when she's like seven and growing up to her dad when, you know, she's mourning his death. Like, you know, he and he probably heard her at some point say, like, you know, I know that you will send me the angel of music and I'm here. I'm ready to, you know, I'm at the opera. mm. And so for him to then hear that and then assume that role like and she she talks about like how she has a hard time like because of like she's what like in her 20s now right so like literally like over 15 years of just this grooming right where she can't even though she knows that he is bad she can't reconcile the fact that the phantom is the angel she can't reconcile any of that because like he's fucked her up so bad. He's manipulated her so bad over so many years that like, she can't get over it. She can't move on because she thinks she's still either talking to her dad or an angel that her dad sent
2: her, which is horrible. Mm -hmm.
0: It's so scary. And I get the perspective of like, she is young and she is conflicted from this space of like, she's not seeing it outside of like how we're analyzing this scene. So from her perspective, I get the conflict But it's just, it's the level that they, like, romanticize that conflict that is so icky. Like
1: To me, it feels like trying to, because, like, they're, like you were saying, Ashley, they were, like, like, he obviously is a genius, right? Like, he wrote this whole opera. He did all this. But, like, that's, like, trying to defend, not that I think he's a genius, but, like, Harvey Weinstein. Or trying to defend somebody that has done, like, you know, that sure they have talent sure they have done done so much or you know like i don't know they're a great painter they're a great artist they're a great actor director writer whatever but like that doesn't mean that the abuse that they predicated or like you know uh, that doesn't excuse any of that right but like in this it's like oh but he's a genius though and it's like "Mm." (laughs) yeah it's wait a minute also the thing one of the things that I find the the most traumatic about this is the phantom essentially turns Christine's like passion into her trauma to where she has to leave the opera she can no longer sing she can't even this thing that she's worked all of her life to do and to be and this thing that like was also this connection with her and her father right like through music through all of that all of that is just trauma and now she can't even think about and again like he tainted the memory of her father who you know presumably yeah. loved her and gave her this gift of This love of music and everything. And he took that away from her.
0: Mess. I want to talk a little bit about Raul and just like Patrick Wilson. Because I think he is it's like the funniest uh nothing character in this movie, I feel like.
1: (laughs) Oh my god. When he went to the bathroom when the when in the masquerade the, the phantom comes down the stairs with uh, this, like, incredible outfit with, like, this badass, like, sword that, like, has, like, a skull as, like, the hilt, right? Like, and in the middle of his descent, he literally is like, I gotta piss. And he walks away. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, really? Like, he's, is this?
0: <laughs> he, he's such a, like, a funny... Because there is a level to him that you're like, okay, there's, like, an earnest care. Outside of, like, obviously the understanding that, again, he is still a man who thinks he's owed her. Um, But there is some earnestness to this performance where he, like, he, like, seemingly does care for Christine and, like, wants the best for her. But it does come from this place of, like, complete himbo. Like, like (laughs) totally... No thoughts, just vibes, for him. At least to me, because I feel like he just like runs and stumbles into the silliest traps, and is like, he's not good at this. And like, yeah, sure, he cares about Christine, but I feel like it, it just felt goofy every time I see it. And also, Patrick Wilson, I think, is just like a goofy guy um, who can sing, which I think I, I think is incredible. And like, I when I first found out that he could sing, I was like, uh, what? But maybe that's my own thing he just seems like a nothing character
1: i i think he was just really silly again like just picking the most inopportune times to like go to the bathroom he literally runs in on a white horse to that cemetery like literally Um,
0: yeah it's just like goofy guy he's
1: just a yeah and he (laughs) the thing about him is he he knew christine when she was like seven, right? He doesn't know who she is now, but she sings, and that's another criticism I have of Christina. She um in this world, which again, the criticisms of like, you know, like the phantom and how he's like predatory and everything are good because they're very real like it's absolutely real and Christine she only has value when she sings like anybody only cares about her when she sings and like oh okay you have value you're a person right and that's the moment when Raul is like oh she's my friend I remember her right and he goes up and he's just like hey my friend and she's like I'm being stalked and she's like you need somebody to save you. <laughs> and like, he's like, so like intent on like, saving her suddenly and not knowing really anything about her. But like, Oh, this person needs to be saved. She's hot. She sings. I know her. I'm in right. And then like, to the point to where again, and this is very funny, where he's sleeping outside of her room, because of course he is because he's, you know, very chivalrous. But she like, just like, and he's like, keeps, trying to be like i'll give you freedom i'll make sure that you're free when like literally he's sleeping outside of her door right and she doesn't want him around all the time clearly because at that moment she skirts around him she's like good he's asleep i'm gonna go to the cemetery i'm gonna go talk to my dad it's gonna be great and she like leaves and then he wakes up and he's like and then runs it on the white (laughs) horse which again is the funniest thing yeah
2: (laughs) Well, the white horse
1: has a lot to do with like that dark and light
2: symbolism, which that Absolutely. whole graveyard scene is about, like yeah. Yeah, good and evil, like fighting each other. Uh So there's that. Yeah, it's hokey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it,
0: it, it's, it's yeah. It's it's good. and we it's love
1: like... we love uh, a good camp. We love good camp. Yeah. I, I love a good. A and good.
0: so and that those are the elements of this movie that I feel are very Schumacher, where it is like there is that we're not trying to do anything profound here. It is what it is. Let's try to like, okay, cool. It is literally just this base level story. He's going to be the dumb prince, uh, who is just like 25 year old child, like boy, who's just like, Oh, the world is love. Like he's going to be the embodiment of like the hope and innocence of like that particular style of character. And it's we're gonna pit him right. It's just yeah, it's good. It's cute. It's cute. Yeah,
2: and it's I, it's, it's good and evil. You know, there, there's there's a evil. lot of that in both films. Like even in this film, like because he's dressed in white a lot of the times, except for the masquerade scene, uh there's a lot of him just being put in light situ like the the photography is well lit and things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas the phantom is not always that way. Yeah, um, but th- there's a lot to that, and I understand the the filmmaking choice of that. Like, it is it is a choice. Um, <laughs> but I will say it is also a little bit refreshing to see a male in that role and not a female. Does that oh, make sense?
0: And like the the silly no thoughts just vibes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's part of my thing. Is like I love it because it is just like he doesn't know. Like he's he's obviously not like a damsel he's not being damseled, but there is a level that like he has no capability and I feel like again a lot of the times like the women are always the incapable ones they're the ones who have no skill no strength no power no autonomy they are simply to be passed from man to man but he's like this he's essentially that except he's like male-effacing like that's that's the only difference with him I love that it's
1: very fun and I think that that plays itself really well on the subject matter and what we're talking about right because it is very fucking heavy some of this stuff right so like I think that is really well juxtaposed with like the phantom who is very methodical who has thought literally every step of the way who knows exactly what he's doing and he's just like oh I'm here just vibes like you said right and he just kind of like going based on whatever he doesn't even the plan that he has the trap the plan how did you not know that that was the phantom on there why did nobody like just you had like a million cops there you had the entire stage crew everybody knew everybody knows this is the phantom just get him before he takes christine just get him and i like that he's so green in that and in this like he has the best intentions but he doesn't listen to christine where he's where she's like i don't want to do this because he's going to get me and i'll be gone forever like you don't understand and there's a really good line that she says where she says am i to risk my life to have the chance to live do i even have a choice like she recognizes that she has to like bend to whatever man's will that's around her you know and in order to be free she has to play into their plans and what they want right so um she's a very smart character and it just it sucks that she like and i think that's really cool and really complex because christine is not dumb she's not like She's the product of grooming. So that's why she has a problem seeing through or seeing exactly what the phantom is and what he has planned for her. Whereas everybody else I feel like she she knows what's up, right? Or she like has like some sort of semblance, but like she she's so aware and she knows, right? But she's also like because she's been groomed a willing participant in in his abuse at like to a certain extent right where again she's like recognizing I'm the face I'm this like okay great how do I get away from that oh well I guess we'll do your plan Raul and like the whole time she's like looking at the audience like he's right fucking here <laughs> I'm just like it, it's so over the top that I feel like in order to really, I, I don't want this to be a drama. I don't want this to be like, because it gets really icky. And for me, it could be really triggery to watch something like this. Like if we're really getting into like grooming and, you know, manipulation and big gross dudes in general, like that can be incredibly triggering. So I think the choice to make this as camp as it is was a really, really good choice because I, agree. I can yeah. sit here and I could talk about it, you know?
0: Yeah. What are you guys' opinion of "Music of the Night"? Like as a song and as a concept, like it's a song about fucking, right?
2: It's a it's a seduction song. Yes, it's a like where yeah. he's ta-
0: he's essentially just being like, well, the, the euphemism of the music of the night is essentially the sound of like pleasure, the sound of like sex, largely, mm-hmm. right? So, I, I mean arguably i know that it's like in various forms because again a lot of these moments do have these like cool little codas where like in a different context these words mean different things but music of the night like especially in this one i never really it never really stuck with me i just thought it was like he's like the dark brooding like come join the dark side and come be with me in the dark place because it's just as luxurious as the light or whatever but there are a couple lines that he says in the in the song itself that are like It's all about, like, this sensory, like, touch it, feel it, like, feel its vibration, feel its, like, exaltation, feel the excitement of, like, let your fantasies unwind, blah, 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 like, join me in this, like, ecstasy, right? It never clicked to me as a young person, like listening to this and being like, "Oh, that's what he's doing." I just, I literally just thought it was just like, they literally... "Oh yeah, come, come to, like, come hang out at Hot Topic with me." Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, come be bad. Like, let's be bad, but bad wasn't like let's have sex. It was like, "Ooh, we can like kill people from the rafters together." <laughs> you know what I mean? I like so this this is the first pass that I've had with this song where I've been like, "Oh, he's like." this is like sexy song
1: i mean there's like literally a line in that song because it's like in his his opera right where he comes Mm -hmm. out on stage where he sorry i don't know the names of the songs uh so thank you for um, (laughs) yeah there's literally like a line where uh the the last line before they both like disappear or whatever is like when should we become one right and like i feel like this whole play is like i mean this whole song right is about him fantasizing about what it's going to be like his first interaction his first sexual interaction with christine right and that like apprehension for that and with that and so like also the imagery right like hot topic shout out but um like you know there's lots of flames it's clear that it's supposed to be hell which he sees himself in right and so like part of that is like him making her i don't know taking away her innocence right or like you know um bringing her down with that right so like he's like even more sexualizing where they're at right or or what he sees potentially happening with her
0: yeah and there's also like the the whole conversation about like the angel of music being lucifer himself and like so there's the tie-in of like he is the angel of music right wasn't that isn't that a part of like Yes. Catholic lore is that Lucifer himself, when he was an angel, was an angel of music, and so like when he fell to hell, that I mean, part of like his job in heaven <laughs> was to be one of like the the heralders, one of the ones of like the exalt, like the the prince of exaltation, who would like shout praises and be like this animated musical big like yes. I I think it's like debated, but there is conversation around him being a literal angel of music
1: i'm yeah i'm looking online and there is like there are some people that are like absolute night, and some people are like well maybe actually yeah. like so if there is that if there is that That's double cool. entendre,
0: especially with phantom embodying everything that is evil or like misunderstood i think is better than just evil um lucifer being in this lore arguably one of the big air quotes most misunderstood characters he wants that and he wants to embody all that is like rebuked and 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 shunned and he is he is the embodiment of that and literally in this the (laughs) the equating himself to the literal devil by being like i am the angel of music i am the one from the underground i am the one who you fear the most but has the most control i don't know it's it's yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I like it. The
1: rest of that song, too, I think is about like, because I think it starts off with like, you know, the the poor people rising up and eating the rich. Right. And then devolves into like, I want to have sex with Christine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're getting kind of that stuff that we were talking about with the last film. Like that's like instead of having that one line, that one really great line that you pointed out, Ash, it's the uh, it's just baked into that song, which I think was cool but yeah. then it's like he can't even like he can't just think about that or concentrate on that because like hey girl <laughs> you know? yeah and i mean that whole scene that whole hellfire scene that
2: i don't know if you caught the name of that uh that opera that he wrote it was called don juan triumphant Yes, and you've heard the references to oh, he's a regular Don Juan, like that's from like another opera. I forget what it's all about, but his specific character is one who seduces women and just is done with them afterwards.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's 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 the it's the uh, like the suave, masculine, like oh wow, he's kind of a player, and he's like so powerful, and like women want him, but he could care less. Of Um,
1: course that is his to that's who course, he wants to be and of bad. course that's like who he wants to cast himself as in this role right of Again, course such an incel move it
0: is it is the most 14 year old boy bullshit like oh yeah i've had i've been with so many girls like it's so it is so childish and so adolescent like and that's who the phantom is at the end of the day i mean literally one kiss and he's like oh, Fuck, like, I actually don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> he, like, panics and, like, runs away. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. he is he is the most adolescent incel figure. I do think it, like, w- did we talk about his backstory in this one? Not yet. Yeah, not yet. So, that's one of the big things, too, about this is where we do get into a little bit more of his backstory and about his relationship with, um, Madam, Madam Geary? Uh, Sherry.
1: Madam Geary is somebody totally different, Eric.
0: Madame Cherie, what did I say?
1: Curie. Madame Curie. And I'm like, Eric, that's somebody else. Oh, no. Okay.
0: (laughs) Her. So we get the whole backstory about how, like, she watches him get beat up for money in the cage. And then um, as people leave, she witnesses him kill uh, his abuser and she helps him escape, which I like because it is still like, yeah, sure, he's killing somebody, but it's coming from this place of self protection and, 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 It makes his story more complicated because, again, it does feed into the conversation of like cyclical violence and generational trauma where like this innocent kid is put into this impossible circumstance because of his physical appearance and the way that he's completely rejected by society. And now he is this villainous character who's doing similar violence against this young girl in a way that would like, so you're watching this happen in real time. so there's a complexity to it. And there's also some complexity to like how we feel about Not Madam Sherry. Sherry. Yeah. How, how we feel about her because like she's aiding him. She's letting him do this. She's, she's aware of everything that's happening and she's keeping quiet about it for the sake of like this, this history, this hor- historical context that she has with him.
1: Well, not only that, but she's also, like, um, she sees him. She pities him. She's like, oh, my gosh, go under here. Like, I'll we'll talk in a minute. And essentially, she, like, and this is, like, this is a very performative. It, to me, it just is performative activism or performative allyship, right, where um, she is just, like, oh, it's okay. I'm so sorry you're dealing with this. Let me help you. And her way of helping is, like, putting him in the like in in the catacombs where nobody's ever going to find him and is she feeding him yes is she making sure he has what he needs yes but is that helping him no and then she's presumably the only person that like he really has any sort of a friendship with or anything right or any sort of communication with and that communication then like rather than like not necessarily teaching right from wrong because then that gets into like a whole other conversation right but like having meaningful conversations with him and like you know like maybe like trying to like reintroduce him to society or like help or anything she just is like here stay out of the way and be down here and she enables his like grooming of christine and she like encourages it and she like even tells christine like he's proud of you tonight you did well right and all of this stuff where she shelters her daughter from um from him and she's like don't you dare go back there ever don't you don't go in the dungeon ever no 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 she is like Encouraging Christine to go down there because, like, she's I feel like she has deluded herself into thinking, well, maybe this will fix him, or maybe he just needs a woman, or like, you know, but again, like, this poor woman, uh, Christine, I feel so bad for her, has been like set up to be, like, you know, targeted by him and enabled by her best friend's mom. Like, how fucked is that? Yeah,
0: it's a weird fucked up situation and again at the end of the day Christine triumphs because she is just so capable yes. and so positive I mean literally <laughs> an impossible situation where like all the adults in your life who you trust essentially um, have double crossed you and set you up for literal fail- failure and she's still uh, because of her capabilities is still able to like overcome them but it is interesting to watch that her her character just because it is she's a mess and a problem but also <laughs> That intent of, like, trying to help him, I can see, a like, a 12-year-old who just watched this kid get the shit kicked out of him. Like, there's not, like, what other choice would she have to, like, help apart from, like, hide from these people who are trying to kill you? I'll bring you bread. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? But because, like, that that's a choice and that just becomes a regular thing for her even as she grows up, it's not really reconsidered and... I mean, literally her yes. sending sending Christine in there is like, girl, that's gross. You need to stop. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not cute. I know we've done like so much critiquing, but I do want to just like talk about the music as it stands. Because like in this one in particular, it is its own subset of like the movie. The, the music itself is like its own thing. Um, what it's are you...
2: like really sappy, but my favorite one is All I Ask of You. Yeah. It's really sappy and really cheesy. However... Because a man says uh, in the song, wherever you go, let me go too, to have a man follow you. That's pretty great. It it was a mutual thing in the end of the song, you know, like just wherever we go, we just go together. Mm -hmm. That's what I like about that song. But
0: him coming to the table first and foremost and being like, I will go wherever you need me to go as long as I get to be there. I that's get right. to be in your presence. Yeah. That is the dream. That is the success that I'm tr- looking for. Yeah. Ooh, it's so sweet and cool. And again, he's like such a sweet character. Big, big, silly <laughs> little baby himbo, but he's like nice. <laughs> he's nice. In this one, he's
1: nice. Well, there's no <laughs> ulterior motives with the himbo, yeah. right? And we love that. And that's also, that's yeah. so good for Christine, and that's exactly what she needs after literally being manipulated by everybody in her life, just like to be like, oh- I always know exactly what you're thinking. This is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. I just love the fact that Christine is the the only one who's just like trying to make the best out of a bad
2: situation when everyone else is trying to control a situation. Even, God, even the the stupid new owners of the of the opera. They have such. They're oh so my God. bumbling. <laughs> they're so Talk silly. about himbos. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah, I also like
2: like they are supposed to be the fools of the the whole thing and you're supposed yeah. to laugh at them but they have just sat back and done nothing just like carlotta said you guys do nothing so if yeah. you, <laughs> nothing happens this doesn't happen yeah. <laughs> like god that, that was just fun I, in I mean,
0: in enjoy. my in my uh little headcanon i 100 see them as a couple they're just, like, yes. this couple who just, like, bought the thing, and they're just, like, oh, yes, that, and this, and whatever, and we're just rich. And, like, the fact that one of them just keeps, like, it's, like, oh, yeah, like, a junk business is, like, it's scrap metal. It's actually scrap metal. <laughs> and, like, it's just, that seems, like, such a point of derision in their relationship in, like, a cute way, and it's just, um, yeah. In my in my head, that's how I see them.
2: <laughs> um, but because, like, everyone else is controlling and everything, and at the very end, like, the big climax scene where like Revel's tied up and he's gonna die and the Phantom is like holding the rope and everything and like this is your choice. This is the point of no return. And she just goes and pities him and is just like, what kind of life have you known? Like what have you been through to bring you to this? Like to put someone like me in this situation and someone like him. And uh there's a lot in there um prior to that part where she's just like, whatever pity I would have had, I would have been angry for you. And then she Mm -hmm. turns around and then is just like, there isn't a choice to make, (laughs) but what I can do is show you grace. And she like asks for God for the courage to do something that she doesn't really want to do, obviously, but she's going to show him like, look, no one cares about your face right now like everyone cares about the choices you're making and she holds him accountable and just shows him forgiveness. Isn't the right word, but it's like, she shows him that, you know, uh, the word she uses is you aren't alone really. And look, this is something that I can do. And in that he's overwhelmed. And like, like you said earlier, he's just totally loses his mind and just doesn't know what to do. Freaks out and lets him go, which is probably the best escape plan I've ever seen. Uh,
0: literally. <laughs> Like I mean t- to be fair it's probably the first time anybody's ever like earnestly tells him like I see you. Yeah. Like yeah. just I I I get it. I get you and he understands it and like oh yeah panic mm-hmm. like I've never been shown compassion. I've never been shown uh c- like any any semblance of like empathy ever. What is this feeling? I'm freaking out 100%. Yeah.
2: And then as soon as that's done, like as soon as he lets them go, he goes to play with his monkey, his, his little chimp with the symbols and visits with what I saw this time. I didn't see it before because I'm watching this in a different context now, but he visits with his inner child a little bit. And he's yeah. like, you know what? Yeah, just, I just need to hide. I just need to hide now. And, yeah. you know, that's exactly where he was when he first got there. And she shows back up and gives him a ring and he just goes christine i love you and she doesn't say anything because she can't love him back like he's a horrible mm-hmm. person and that is so tragic but yeah it's the best way for that to end i think yeah yeah i i just love that scene that he goes back and visits you know his his childhood toy or at least yeah. something like it and then that is like where the movie ends and where it begins at the auction and everything mm-hmm. and the
0: which I thought was, like, a really interesting tentpole of, like, framing the story, right? We're seeing this set, like, we open on the opera house however many years later. They're auctioning off all this stuff, and it's that monkey that really revitalizes, and we watch the whole thing sort of, like, colorize, which was also a fun nod to, like, the original black-and-white film, mm-hmm. where we're, like, kind of seeing similar sets, we're seeing similar framing, and then suddenly it's full color, and, like, I mean, the goofy, like, Wizard of Oz shit, where it's just like woo, everything like comes to life and is gorgeous <laughs> and illuminated, and then we end literally on that same thing. We're like, yeah, I, I, like you said, that's kind of where a whole other story begins after the fact, and we're it's just yeah, it was good, it was good. Yeah.
2: Cool. And I like that he doesn't die in this one. I like that they're yeah. that he's not just treated like the bane of society, killed and thrown into the sun. He's He's given some sort of mystery again where he's like okay this part is done I I'm moving on but I'm the fact that he like sat down with his toys something like maybe he's going to go and think
1: about what he did.
2: <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's some
1: sort of recognition of that cyclical trauma that we mentioned, right, where Mm -hmm. he is like able to finally go and revisit that part of his past in a different light, in a different way, and then maybe move forward from there. Because I mean, like, presumably, I mean, I guess there's a phantom too. But we don't, um, he doesn't go and do this again, right? Like maybe yeah. he does sit with his actions. Maybe he does kind of like try to reconcile that. I think that that's really cool and interesting. I'm a little bit like, if you guys hadn't mentioned that, I would have like never thought that because I'm way less forgiving. <laughs> um, because I'm just like, I don't know if it's
2: forgiveness not that forgiving. I would give him. Sure,
1: but <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a little tinge of hope for him. Yeah. To, yeah. to deal with it. You, you know? know what? Uncle Ira was a war criminal. So. <laughs> like
0: literally. Literally. Yeah.
1: All righty. So we are back. We're back. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the first one. Um, Eric, who do you think this movie was for? The 1925 Phantom of the Opera.
0: I don't know. Horror fans. Horror fans? You know what? That's... I actually don't know. I'm going to say the eyebrow muscles of all the actors because of how (laughs) much of that they had to do just like... Because they're not talking. So it's just like big eyes and like like huge faces. There was a lot of face muscle work um, in that film. So I'm going to say it's for the the muscles of the actors' faces.
1: Incredible. Ashley, what about you? General audiences,
2: honestly. um, Because... Movies were still, they weren't new per se, but they were definitely like something that people did for fun. It was, a, it was an escape, you know? Um, and it is like, there there is some depth to it, but there's a lot more action and drama and everything like that. And I feel like that's what people go to the movies for, to see a show. And
1: it, it was a show. It was really great and captivating. So mm-hmm. that's what I think it was for.
0: Jess, who do you think it was for?
1: I want to say that it was for women as like a cautionary tale uh, against, you know, like weirdo internet boys. I was like, like how so? Because <laughs> like in this one, it's not presented as like a potential romance, right? Like it is very yeah. clear that this person is, is, absolutely predatory they're being absolutely awful and like she's hypnotized to go with him she doesn't really like kind of go of her own volition like i feel like there's there's a lot of things so it's just like cautionary be be mindful ask questions you know um don't go to places alone i don't know but like just be cautious as a woman about like who you're around and who you're interacting with eric did you like this movie
0: I did. I honestly, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Ash? I did
2: like it. Um, I like campy horror movies anyway. Uh,
1: so this
2: just kind of like, there's that nostalgia, but I mean, I know that that, that's what we're here for, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but there is a certain nostalgia to it. And, you know, I love universal monsters and, um, while it didn't like this whole phantom thing did not start with that I'm really glad I went back to it because there was a lot of that that consistency of like good and evil like the the levels of where people are in society being reflected in this opera house like the phantom wanting Christine who is like a literal angel uh to to save him um and there's there's just a I I enjoyed that part of the story and how it was really there in the first film.
1: Yeah. I also really liked it. Um, Kind of jumping off of what you were uh, mentioning, like it was very intentional, like you said, of like um, she's a literal angel. He wants her to fix him, but he's not willing to do any of the work on his own. And again, I will say that this is for women because that is absolutely, if a man is not willing to do any work on his own or to meet you halfway or anything, they're not worth your time. As a friend or as, uh, something more, but, um, yeah. And I, I also just really, I didn't expect to really like this movie as much. Like there's a couple of, uh, silent films that I really like, but for the most part, like some of them can be so choppy and so hard to follow or, you know, um, or I don't know, like uh, some, like they're not as substantive, but I do feel like this was, um, in, like very poignant, very substantive, um, especially for the time. It might not have had as much nuance. Like I loved the caricatures of, like you know, everybody had to like literally be a caricature of this archetype in order, like, you know, with their facial muscles in order to like get us to like know their motivations and what they're thinking of, because there, there is not room for nuance with like certain things in that medium. But um, the playing of like the, the color of the film and things like that, I thought were just really fun and really engaging. So it is really, I, I did enjoy it. Um, Okay. So Phantom 2004, Um, was it new interesting the same progressive regressive how are you feeling eric
0: i thought it was uh new and interesting because it's it was a musical that's a huge change from the original story um they also took some liberties especially with the ending especially with some of the character work um i thought it was both new and interesting uh progressive also just in terms of giving a little bit more backstory to some of these characters and a little bit more nuance in 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 ways that like the first one really doesn't. It's just a monster versus a damsel. Like, that's, at the end of the day, kind of all it was. Whereas this, like, there's backstory, there's intention, there's conflict in, in ways that feel a little bit more uh, deep than the first. So that's why I would say it's a little bit progressive in that way.
1: <laughs> what do you think, Ash?
2: Because it was originally a novel. <gasps> and I haven't, I, I bought the novel because I wanted I to know read that. it. Yeah, it was written in 1910, um, and because it was a novel first, and I intentionally did not read the novel just so I could do this and not have any preconceived notions about it, and then it became a horror movie, and I don't know if the book is like that or not, but I've heard that there's, like, so much more character development in the books and stuff, and to have it on a silver screen in a silent movie, by the way, silent movie about an opera and music (laughs) right yeah (laughs) (laughs) to have that level of depth still in the story and be able to see conflict um in people's performances i thought was really great and really new for for silent movies you know i thought the new one was definitely progressive because we got more christine's story and we got to see her be the star of the movie um yes she's the star of the movie in the 1925 one um but she's not really a person she's motivation for all these other people right Mm -hmm. um she's kind of again put up on that pedestal of of an angel and in this one yeah there's nods back to that um you know where she's on the stage and there's angels in the background and statues everywhere of angels (laughs) and stuff um but it's um I thought it was a lot more character driven for her and we got to see a little bit more of phantom as well, but still not so great when it comes to like, this guy's been stalking her since she was seven Mm -hmm. gross. Um, So that I don't think was great, (laughs) but (laughs) you can't really change the story, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what it comes down to. So good on some, some points filmmaking character choice, things like that. But the story is still really gross.
1: Yeah, I also I thought that it was new, like it was uh, like uh, for all the reasons that you both said, like where it was, um, we got to see more of the characters and more of the the nuance within them and kind of their interactions to each other. Christine is actually a person rather than, you know, a, like being objectified, like she's aware of her objectification in her relation to like to men, but she's like still trying to like, you know, she's still hopeful trying to find her space, you know, and, um, and trying to find a way out of that, that sort of prison that she finds herself in. Um, so I thought that it was really interesting also for that same reason. And like, a lot of the story beats were the same, just with that extra information, it just did recontextualize some of those scenes and some of those moments. And again, like, now this is a, a romance rather than a horror. So even within having a lot of these same beats, like, just that context or, like, that, that character work that they did, then, like, completely changed the genre, where the first one was just basically, like, you know, an outline, <laughs> right? Um, but I did think that it was progressive for those same ways that we talked about, but also a little bit regressive because of she was seven years old and things like that. And, and you know, we've, we've talked at length about that, but, you know, yeah. that's where I'm at. Um, Eric, who was this for, the 2004
0: Gerard Butler's acting career um, because this is like one of the first big things that he's like really in apart from like Dracula 2000 so it's like this is it and then like two years later 300 happened and he became this like macho superstar oh my gosh
1: he's the guy in 300 too. I know I and this
0: was like right before wow. like well, a couple <laughs> a couple years before it so shout out Gerard Butler
1: totally um Ashley who is this for aside from Andrew Weber fans and
2: people who can't get to the theater Um, because it's really expensive to go see a show. I mean, fantastic. (laughs) They are fantastic, but that hasn't changed. Like you, you still need to have some money to go see a show. Um, (laughs) aside Mm -hmm. from putting it in theaters and making it more accessible to audiences, I really think it was for people who love romance stories, you know? I mean, that's really what it's about for the musical side of things.
1: Um, did you think I thought this was for, like you said, Ashley, the theater is very expensive. It is still um, very selective of who can, it's still a rich person thing, right? So this was so the world, including me now, could know that. Because. Uh, the world needed it, and here we are now, so I'm I'm better for it. I'm better for knowing that song. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you like it, Eric?
0: I did.
1: Cool. I did. <laughs> <laughs> <That's it. laughs> How about you? I did. How about you, Ashley? Oh,
2: of course I liked it it is problematic but but, you know the story is great the music's fantastic it is wonderful to take a little bit of escape into the opulence of 1860s
1: France and man French society is not great uh yeah I also really liked it I I didn't know what I was getting into and here I am now and yeah I think that's it thank you so much for being on the podcast Ashley this has been so much fun. This Thank was so you. much fun.
2: I really enjoyed this this little mental exercise of watching something in a different way, which is so nice. And I that's what I enjoy about your podcast, if I could fangirl just a little bit. <laughs> I really enjoy learning more about how society portrays other people because the experience is not always the same. And coming from a very cis white suburban background, like there's not... There's not that perspective, and getting that from you guys is fantastic. Like, I think you guys are doing great work here. Really proud of you. Oh, thank thank
0: you. you. That's very nice <laughs> to hear.
1: We take compliments so well. Thank you. Yes, you do. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. Uh, please come back again at another time. We would love to have you. Yes, um, please. Thank you, everybody, for listening.
0: Yeah, please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media. Interact with it. Like it. Love it. Uh, send it to your friends. It helps us immensely.
1: Yeah. Our artwork and music is by Eric Lefebri. Editing by Danny Barkley. And thank you again, everybody. Ashley and Eric. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and remember, stay cute.
0: And stay critical. Goodbye. Bye.
1: Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye. 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 This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network.
1: Visit thenostalgianetwork.com for more.
0: You enter the dungeon and see the evil wizard pointing his wand directly at you. He says,
1: show me a funny and delightful actual play
0: Dungeons and Dragons podcast or I'll consume your souls. What do you do?
1: I take out my phone and find Quest Friends forever on Spotify.
0: I show him how to find Quest Friends Forever on Apple Podcasts. I share the Quest Friends Forever Instagram and YouTube pages with him. And you all get critical hits. Yay! Quest Friends Forever is an actual play podcast starring four friends with varying levels of Dungeons & Dragons experience. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday as we embark on fantasy adventures, play fast and loose with the rules, and laugh at each other's shenanigans. No prior D&D knowledge is required to listen, so everyone can feel free to join the fun. Quest Friends 4, that's the number four, like how there's four of us, ever. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Quest Friends Forever.